What's up you guys? Welcome to another edition of the Broken Light Show. My name is Dave Mantel. It is really late on Tuesday night, so I'm going to try and get this done as quickly as possible, and then I'm going to go to bed. I started college for the, uh, well, I'm not going to tell you how many times I've tried this, but it's been a lot. Started that today, so I'm pretty beat. going to start a whole new phase of my life. Full-time college student, have a job, a podcast, recording artists. Whew. It's rough. It's a rough life. But I did this to myself. And you know what? Hopefully it pays off. We'll see. We'll see. I had these... Um, I, so I have classes from uh, 9.30 to 3.30 with no breaks in between, which is like six hours uh, if you do the math, uh, which I did. And uh, so I don't get to eat lunch um, but I packed myself a snack foreseeing that this would be an issue. And I got these, uh, these snacks from, uh, a Christmas present that my sister gave me. And, uh, there were some sriracha, um, roasted cashews and they changed my life. I'm going to say that one more time. Sriracha roasted cashews. That's, uh, if you're uh, uh, culinarily inclined, you should do that to yourself. Treat yourself um, because that is some delicious uh, snack food right there. And uh, that's that's all the personal stuff I have time for. So um, hope you enjoyed that segment. <clears throat> if this is your first time with us, that's a weird intro. So uh, welcome to the show. We talk about independent art and DIY scenes and all that kind of stuff. We got a great episode for you today, my friend, old friend, uh, I've known him for a long time. He's not that old. Uh, his name is James Davison. Uh, he is a master storyteller and uh, just an all-around fun guy. We talked and um, had a lot of giggles, and uh, it's going to be a, a fun episode. He was, he was visiting Chicago and... Uh, just happened to be in the neighborhood and we talked and decided that it would be a good thing to have him on the show and introduce you all to my friend James. He tells a couple stories, talks about his blogs, and uh, it's a good time. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Before we get going, I want to uh, give a shout out real quick to Drew Creel, who is, uh, he was my first guest ever on this podcast. And um then uh, he he became famous after my podcast. I'm not saying that I'm directly responsible for that fame, but I'm not not saying that either. Um, Drew uh, became one of the first viral videos of 2015. He and uh, his buddy Frank, maybe you've seen this video on your social media feeds, uh, playing some first act children's guitar and drum set pink instruments and uh playing some uh some metal playing some slayer on those instruments and uh at the time of this recording are approaching uh three million views on the original video and i know that there are other videos that exist uh there was a one with a spanish over there's no there's no english in the video but for some reason there's a spanish version uh 
and that has uh, another 2 million views on it. So those guys, uh, shout out to Drew. I knew you before you were famous and uh, follow up to that. Why couldn't you become famous before you came on my show? What's the deal? Signed, Dave. Uh, no, but seriously, if you guys haven't seen that video, check it out. It's really funny. Um, viral videos are really easy to find on the internet. So I'm sure that if you, uh, if you Google grown men playing children's guitars, you'll find him. So that's a lot of fun. We, uh, we have a Kickstarter going on for this show that started last week and we are two thirds funded already, which is great. And I promise as soon as it's funded, I'll shut up about it. But until then, uh, if you like this show, if you're a long-time listener and uh, you want to keep keep the show going, my goal is to do uh, 50 episodes in 2015. That's once a week. And um, so in order to do that, I have a couple things that I need to set up. A website is the majority of the cost. And so uh, if you guys head over to Kickstarter and check out the Broken Light Show in the search bar, you will find it. You will see a little video I made explaining the cost. Um, and uh, you'll see that we are almost funded. So if you have uh, an extra, you know, five bucks to spare, you got an extra 20 bucks to spare, there's some cool perks. Um, I will record your album for you if you want. I will record you a song of your choice or create an original song for you. That is something that I will do. You can check it all out over at Kickstarter and look for The Broken Light Show. And uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. If if this show has meant something to you uh, and you think it's worth something, then uh, consider you know supporting it for this next year. I think uh, I think we have uh, we have a good rapport, you and I. Um, I think we've done that. We've done that to each other. We built that over time. And so uh, you know, go and check it out. And if you're not into it, you're not into it. That's fine. Um, but clearly some people are into it. And uh, so thank you to those of you who have already supported it. And, uh, you know, I'll let you know when we get funded, which will hopefully be by next week. And then uh, then we'll get a website and get all official. And you guys can print up T-shirts yourself because I'm not paying for that. And, uh, <laughs> and it'll be great. So uh, it's Tuesday night when I'm recording this, and the State of the Union is going on as I say these words into the microphone. I'm not watching it because uh, I'm a terrible American. For those of you international listeners, this probably means nothing to you, um, but the State of the Union is where I guess the president comes and talks about all of the things that we, the people, already know are wrong with our country. Actually, he probably just gets up and says, everything's fine, don't panic. And then we're like, all right, I guess everything's fine. And then we continue to not panic. Um, but I digress. The reason I bring that up is because uh, as tonight is the State of the Union here in the United States, I uh, felt the obligation to myself assess the state of the art industry's and present that state to you. And so I wrote up a little thing tonight, and I'm going to read it, and then we'll get going with the interview. And so I present to you, my fellow creators, the state of the industries, and uh, maybe we'll make this, maybe we'll make this an annual thing. Who knows? Depends on how uh, how things get off. 
my fellow art creators. 2014 was quite a year. We saw the decline in record sales continue as well as the continued resurgence of vinyl and cassette tape. We saw mainstream film continue to shut out both people of color and women while creatively both of those groups made great strides in front of and behind the camera. Crowdsourcing went mainstream and is actually at the precipice of jumping the shark if it continues to be mishandled. Music and video streaming services continue to exploit independent artists while major labels and studios continue to take no risks and to pump out unoriginal, unimaginative copies of copies for the mainstream consumers. A mixed bag, to be sure. Many of us arrive at 2015 with apprehension. And so, the question must be raised, where should 2015 take us as a community? Allow me to suggest the following. 1. Take cues from those who got it right in 2014. Now, this may seem like a no-brainer, but we should all be looking to those people in our circles or that we've been exposed to. Look at their successes from the past year and ask several very important questions regarding that work. What made it special? What made it resonate with me, with other people? And then... How can I adapt those answers to my own work? Some examples that come to mind are the movies Coherence, an independent film with hardly more than 10 people attached to it, and This is the End, a, a low-budget comedy that came out the year previous. Both of these movies, despite being as far removed from each other as two movies can be, do something very interesting. They take place almost entirely in one place, a house. Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, directors of This Is The End, said their goal was to tell the biggest story they could for the smallest amount of money. Jim Beerkit, the director of Coherence, says something similar. He says that his lack of resources forced the creative process. Seeing both of these films and their creative use of space and resources to fuel their end product, I asked myself, how can I use limitations, actual or self-imposed, to help enhance my art, as opposed to letting those limitations hinder my creativity? Two, be aware of major industry missteps in 2014 and avoid them. Now, we all know the mainstream industry is floundering, no matter what medium you're in. Movie ticket sales, album sales, these are all things that headlines paint a bleak picture of. But if that's the case, how are artists still surviving, some thriving in this current state? And the answer lies in innovation. This ties in with my previous thought, but bear with me. Remember that Tom York put out an album this year? Well, when he originally released it, he made it available via the file-sharing site BitTorrent for $6. The initial numbers are in, and while Tom hasn't commented on the actual dollar amount, he announced in September that his album was downloaded over 400,000 times. 
And to put that in perspective, that puts it right around the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack, which is actually in the top 20 albums sold of that year. And that's in a format that most people under 30 don't even know how to navigate. The moral of the story? Sometimes having a finger on the pulse of your core audience as well as the industry can lead to taking some huge risks and getting huge payoffs from those risks. Number three, don't be afraid to be the innovator. And I hope by now you can see that this list is very closely knit, but I encourage you in 2015 to take a leap of faith. Put all you've got into something that might be crazy to everyone else. In the documentary Shut Up and Play the Hits, James Murphy of LCD Sound System said that when he originally showed his friends the recordings he was making that would eventually be his debut album under that name, nobody liked it. Not one of his friends understood what he was doing, and actually, they tried to dissuade him from continuing. But he stuck with it and eventually released an album that is universally recognized as one of the best and most important albums of that decade. What I'm saying is, trust your instincts. Make the art that you want to make, and stay true to that, even if it might be quote-unquote bad or not quote make sense to the people around you. It's only through taking risks that limits are broken and norms are changed. We'll be right back. You guys remember Hotel Neon from uh, just our second episode? Well, those guys have a brand new remaster of their debut album under the same name, Hotel Neon, and it's out right now, and you're listening to it. It is an amazing remaster. It sounds really great, and if you haven't picked up their album already, you can do it right now, and it sounds better than ever. And I want to read you this little bit of this review because I think it's awesome. It says, uh, the Hotel Neon just seems like a, a natural phenomenon, a sound mined out of the earth or harvested from enormous fields on a rolling hill. In reality, Hotel Neon was completed with the less romantic use of a USB and some dodgy guitars, but hey, that's music. That sounds... <laughs> If that sounds like your cup of tea, head on over to homenormal.com, the guys who remastered their record, and pick it up. It's super great, and you won't regret it. Homenormal.com, Hotel Neon, self-titled debut record, remaster. Pick it up.
always used Audacity for recording my things, but I didn't know how to do any stuff with it, so it always just sounded like me talking into a bad microphone on Audacity. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So it sounded like like what it was then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Cool. And GarageBand was like, hey, here's some stuff, and it's easy to figure out. And I was like, thank you, GarageBand. <laughs> You, like, make your voice sound like an alien. And... Yeah, it was tight. I made my voice sound like an alien for, like, a second. And then I was like, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll go with the... My voice sounded like it was recorded on a crappy microphone. Thank you. Yeah, well, I mean, it's your prerogative. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I don't know uh, I don't know where to start. Why, why oh, we, you... we are, we're already started. Uh, yeah. Is, okay, okay great. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on. <laughs> um, why don't you uh, introduce yourself and let the people at home know who I'm talking to. Yeah, so my name is James Davison. Uh, Dave and I go way back to like the grades when we were still in head grades. Oof. I don't remember exactly when. It was um, a while ago. It was it's been a long time. Yeah. yeah. What what do you what do you do, James? Oh, um I'm in school. I'm at Ball State University getting my elementary teaching certificate. Um so I'm like a 28-year-old man who sits in classes with 18 year old white girls <laughs> and it's awkward because it's just like there's so much life experience between us i'm so old and uh you're all so young and your eyes are so big <laughs> they like, haven't been crushed by reality yet yeah eyes like dinner plates man just <laughs> are boring. you like really grumpy in class all the time like no actually i have to be like the outgoing person who starts all the conversations and like does all the the class discussion um i mean that's an exaggeration but <laughs> because a lot of them are still like really shy and like still basically children <laughs> sounds horrifying the other day we played this game in my like uh education class it's basically like unlearn racism <laughs> um i can't remember the name of the title the the class so we'll just call it my unlearn, unlearn racism yeah. class um and the game was called uh i kid you not buffa buffa and uh it was a it was like in made in the 70s and you could tell from the packaging um and it was about like you get split into two different groups and you each have to learn uh, your own culture and then visit each other's cultures and try to figure out the rules of each other's cultures without um like them teaching them to you okay and the girls in my class were like in my group were like yeah we don't we're not really into this culture that we have to pretend to be and i was just like you know just pretend like it's not real <laughs> just make it up uh and some of them will be like no i'm not really into touching people and i'm like it's not you it's another person that you're pretending to be <laughs> so it was it was fun though so a plus then is is uh the grade that you received i received an a plus um, <laughs> our culture highly valued males oh nice but all males were property and you had to get permission from the eldest of the, the culture to uh to speak to us so every every conversation you opened had to be about a man so you'd be like hey you'd <laughs> hug each other and be like how's your dad um how's your brother do you have any male pets <laughs> Do you have any male pets? <laughs> like, we went there. Uh, once we got into it, people would actually ask that question of each other. And um, it was it was fun. Um, and But, yeah, like, we didn't get to... Me and the other one dude in the class didn't really get to talk to other people very much because the girls were too shy to come ask the permission of, of the elder to speak with us. 
Yeah, they wouldn't get very far in uh, other cultures, it doesn't sound like. Yeah. So, it, I don't know. It's, like, clear that a lot of them don't have a lot of experience outside their small Indiana towns, and so I'm hoping that I can be a person who helps teach them and that my experience from this class will be, like, learning how to talk with people who don't know about the subjects about them. Yeah. That's a that's a good way of looking at it, yeah. and and you're because you're a transplant to Indiana, a recent transplant, in yeah. fact, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> We've had I I shouldn't say that because, like half of the guests that I've had on the show have been from Indiana, so I apologize to everyone listening to this show that's from Indiana. <laughs> I don't actually hate your state that much. Um, it's looking at you, Patrick. Lol. Uh, so, uh, what 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 has that transition been like? Because we we grew up. In uh, Chicago, I was in the suburbs mostly, and James was down in the heart of the the city. And uh, what, so, what's the, the transition to Indiana been like for you? I mean, it's it's been okay. Uh, it's mostly nice people. Um, I live in a much smaller town than Chicago. Um, the town itself is kind of boring. <laughs> Um, it's, I mean, there's some good stuff about Muncie, Indiana, and it's got a, you know, a vibrant college campus. Uh, it's very, uh, deindustrialized and sort of like, I get to live in this sectioned off area where most of the people in the area are college students or work at the college. So we don't really see the, uh, endemic poverty on the, the other sides of town very much. Um, I'm trying to think what else has been interesting about the transition, um, I'm like a very left-wing person politically, and I think about politics a lot, and Indiana is a much more conservative place in general, and small-town Indiana is often uh, more so um, than I'm used to. So political conversations are essentially out. I don't get to, I don't get to have them. <laughs> um, my wife does, though, and she talks to her Republican, like, doctor colleagues all the time and gets very frustrated uh, about um, especially just like their feelings about poor people and how poor people are lazy and should all just get jobs. And but isn't that, I mean, that's just true. Well, right? let's face it, poor people <laughs> as a group are lazy and don't have jobs. Uh, that's that's what I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. This is going in a really interesting direction. Uh, just, just to clarify, most poor people have multiple jobs and work a lot harder than other classes of people. Not that we're naming classes of people, but, you know, like... Class warfare. Do like, it. <laughs> like white people. <laughs> um, yes, your wife. Let's, let's, we should talk about that because you, you're also recently married. You're recently transplanted out of state. You're recently married as well. And I was there. And it was probably the best wedding ceremony I've ever been to. Here's the thing. It was a great wedding ceremony. Like, <laughs> we are so proud of that. Yeah, we talk about it all the time. Uh, <laughs> friends friends of ours that we share, uh, we talk about that wedding ceremony. We're like, yeah, that was the one. Yeah. I was at my uh, family reunion this Christmas, and my cousin was like, James, I don't remember that much about my wedding because it was, like, kind of straightforward. Um and boring but yours was amazing and i still think about it all the time and i was like here's the thing john so do i <laughs> um why don't why don't you uh enlighten the people what what made this wedding so spectacular so it was 
we first of all we had the tremendous privilege of not having either of our families like try to horn in on it and tell us what to do sounds great um so we got to do our own thing and um basically what our own thing was was we wanted to ditch all of the traditions about weddings that we think are silly and then just like pump up on all the ones that we think were are rad and the main one we think is rad is where there's like an organ and it plays lots of music so we got um the organist at the church to play a ton of music from both our musical traditions it was fun watching heads turn uh when the different like salvation army specific songs uh from my musical tradition came on uh, on the organ which they're not usually played on um so that was cool um relatively small wedding um and relatively short because we took a lot of things out there was no processional um what other stuff didn't we have like what other stuff goes in a wedding there was no like unity candle crap um, there was yeah there was no like special music that i remember like no one as you're uh kneeling praying together right. holding hands no one like no got one... up and sang a whole new world or whatever you right, sing yeah. at weddings <laughs> that's a that's a good even though i don't think that's probably sung at weddings it's a good that's the tone if someone were like james please come sing a special number of your choosing and don't tell us i would be strongly tempted to get someone else to sing a whole new world with me and if i couldn't find one i might just sing both parts by myself i think that's that needs to happen it's i mean it's very romantic and uh magical we're at a point in our lives where a lot of people around us are getting married so the the chance of that happening is like it's probable you know that someone may ask you yeah i mean people like me i think <laughs> but most i don't think most people think of me as the guy to go to for special music <laughs> like you'd come in you'd be like please read a thing at my wedding or please like give a awesome toast or something but not necessarily james would you <laughs> please sing a whole new world <laughs> You are a great orator. I mean, one of the greats, I, I would say, of I our do generation. Like talking out loud to humans in groups. Um, you've uh, you've done some of that in in public, in front of people. In fact, yeah. I mean, so I I'm like naturally a very introverted person, um, but for some reason, if you like give me something to read and a group of people to read it to it like I'm on it I love it um so yeah a couple years ago I started doing storytelling events going out and writing stories and telling them to people and uh yeah it was it was really magical and fun and that was like part of Chicago life that I really loved and it's something I miss and I don't know if there's anything like it in Muncie I haven't I haven't found anything um like it to go to yeah, maybe that maybe that's your that's your calling in life, you know. Start a story core in Muncie. Start storytelling cultures all around the world. <laughs> um, is that something that I mean? Because as long as I've known you, you've been you've been a storyteller, you know. Whether it's like long form jokes or just you know, I think from my point of view, you're just really good at making people laugh. And uh, so that did that like transition nicely into like doing things like like um, open mic stuff for your stories and what have you. Yeah, I mean, it basically 
it, it, it was very natural. Once I found out it was a thing you could just do, you could like <laughs> force other people to listen to you, you who were total strangers for like 10 minutes and you just get the minutes to, to talk to them. Because where it comes from for me is, is having difficulty navigating group conversations. Um, for a lot of my youth and still today, like if I'm in a group of people, I have a, I have a hard time reading the room and like not getting talked over or talking over other people. Um, and so when I find a way to get in edgeways, wise, I usually have something to say and it's like 10 minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> you like building it up. You're like, okay, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to say this and I'm going to say this and boom, here's my chance. Right. It's like, and often it'll be like, you know, I'll miss several chances to tell relevant <laughs> stories beforehand. It's like, okay, well that one is no longer relevant to the conversation. Just keep it just like leave it be just let it go yeah that's a very painful feeling when you have a great story that fits in a conversation and it's just like <laughs> these people talk too dang much they just talk too fast yeah that is a that's a problem especially i, I think that's like a city problem that you run into is mm. fast loud long talkers yeah i think about um when we were growing up and you were working at camp at summer camp and you uh happened to be our counselor one year and or like assistant counselor at some somebody deemed it fit that you should have authority over <laughs> these teenage boys who were also just my friends <laughs> and uh it was great because you knew a lot of like like poop stories yeah poop stories <laughs> that was before i found out some years later that i actually just like have digestive system problems <laughs> I just thought it was normal to just like poop yourself sometimes, you know, <laughs> and then tell really great stories about it to adolescent teenage boys. Yeah, well, there's, I mean, which are the it's the the target audience for stuff like that. I think a poop story <laughs> in the right context can really bring people together. It's like <laughs> you're vulnerable, you're acknowledging something that most people go through at some point in their lives, but people don't really talk about. The other day, I was in my uh, health teaching health to elementary school students class, um, and uh, there was an activity where we were supposed to get up and then like go talk to somebody, and you had a couple options of what they could you could talk to them about, and one of them was uh, share your most embarrassing story that you're comfortable sharing, and I'm comfortable sharing all my most <laughs> embarrassing moments. I will just go there, and this guy was like, "Okay, well, why don't you share your embarrassing story?" And I was like, okay, so I was at the University of Chicago, I woke up one day, I wasn't feeling good, and I went into the center of campus where there's like a ring of buildings uh, and like you're several minutes walk from each of them. And uh, I, was, I, I was like, I need to make it to Hebrew class, I'm walking, I get in the middle right in there, and I'm like, man, I, I need to poop now, immediately. Um, and it was, <laughs> it was a very difficult moment. <laughs> Because I was like, if I move, I'm going to poop. And if I don't move, I'm going to poop. <laughs> so I, I like tried to, I walked, and then I pooped my pants. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, no, my pants are pooped. <laughs> so, and then I, like, went to the bathroom and cleaned up, and I just went, I did, I did go home. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, I went to... Uh, the dining hall. I didn't go to Hebrew class. No, no. I went home, cleaned up, and then went to breakfast. And then my friend was like, at breakfast, yo, how was Hebrew class? And I was like, let's never 
we're never going to talk about this Hebrew class, quote unquote, again. Um, and the next day I went to class and my professor was, my professor like never had spoken to me individually as a student about anything other than like classwork, like calling on me to answer a question. But that day I came to class and he was like, oh, James, we missed you yesterday. And uh, just like automatically the words, words came out of my mouth. I was sick. <laughs> like really loud and inappropriate tone. Um, <laughs> And he was like, yes, well, uh, I just wanted to tell you, blah, 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 like information about the class. And I was like, oh, thank, thank you. And I sat down. <laughs> so I told him, I told that, let's come back here. This is a story inside of a story. I told this guy story that in my health class. And he was just like, looked at me. <laughs> he didn't laugh. It wasn't, it wasn't interesting to him. He was just like, uh, all right, well, my favorite color is red. <laughs> red and black <laughs> and I was like this is the worst reaction I've ever gotten to this story normally it's so it's so moving and people just like take it to heart and become my friend when I tell it to them <laughs> and it didn't work that time and it was really sad maybe he didn't speak English very well no he was just a, <laughs> a guy he was from Chicago you, th you would think we could bond over that but no it was I feel like I've alienated him forever <laughs> It's really sad. That is sad because <laughs> I love that story and I love the punchline to that story in the middle, which is when you actually poop your pants because you, uh, every time you tell it, it's so understated. You're just like, yeah, and then, uh, and then I poop my pants. <laughs> it just like didn't land with him. Maybe he didn't hear it right away. Or I don't think the buildup was very good. I was maybe just talking too fast. Maybe it was just the wrong situation for that story. I don't know. Maybe. I think. Personally, I would say any situation is a good situation for that story, but I'm also biased. <laughs> Z, yeah. <coughs> um, so th those are not necessarily the kinds of stories that you would tell uh, were you to go to like an, a storytelling event in the city. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if I wanted to tell a story at a storytelling event, it's got to fill a little bit more time than that kind of story, which is like a one-off like thing without like a theme. Right. But I will like fit smaller stories like that into my stories if I can. Um, it's yeah. I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I wish I wish that. I'm not very good at talking off the top of my head in a way that keeps people engaged, and people who listen to this podcast can probably attest to that. Um, <laughs> I but, think the podcast is making you better at it. So I, I hope so. I hope you'll get the skills. Yeah, maybe maybe one day I'll do a, a storytelling event. I don't uh, you see your your life is so eventful and I think about or maybe it's maybe it's your point of view. Do you think you have a like a specific point of view that aids itself to telling just like cuz all the, the stories that you, that you tell that like stick out to me are like the high school story or like uh the that poop story or um the the one that you did at uh i heard recorded at that event it was like uh that you're a catch things like that are yeah, just yeah. like it's just like you're just talking about your life in a way that's interesting and relatable yeah i mean i definitely don't think my life is like super eventful um, it's. I mean, it's probably. I've gotten to do some things that a lot of people haven't gotten to done to do. <laughs> but uh, University of Chicago. <laughs> hey, hey, like we're allowed to make mistakes. No, we just no. have to cover them up with uh, big fancy words afterwards. 
intelligentsia. <laughs> um, yeah, so for me, it just comes from like just wanting people to like me. <laughs> like, just, <laughs> I just like have found a way to get people to talk to me and for it not to be awkward. Because in like normal conversation, it, it, I find it really hard to be interesting with someone I don't know. Um, you, you know, you, it's, it's often hard to connect, um, especially if like, you know, they like stuff that I don't like. Um, and I don't have all of the, the key elements that allow, uh, Americans to connect across social boundaries. Like sports is the main one. I, yeah, I'm with you. I don't have sports to just like bond over. And I, I love the idea of people liking sports and like using that to talk to each other. It's just like not something that I have spent a lot of energy getting into. So um, I don't know where that particular thread was going. Was that a question even, or did you just say stuff and I well, was responding? Well, it was. It. it started out as a question and then ended up <laughs> as a statement, and then you answered the statement, which is fine. It's tight. <clears throat> That's uh, what we do here on this show. Um, so you, you said something about um, the way, like telling stories, is a way to get people to like you. Mm, yeah. And the the more people that I talk to on the show, or just friends of mine, I think that that's kind of like a common theme of why why a lot of us do what we do. Because we maybe some of us suck at real life, and so we're just <laughs> like, hey, let's do this thing that we're good at and trick people into <laughs> into liking us. So for me, uh, I haven't really figured it out yet because I you know I play music, but it's like I play the most boring kind of music, and so then I started this show. And maybe that's another thing that helps people like me. But um, I just think it's interesting that that's like a default sometimes for creative people to be like, yep, I do this basically because I just want people to like me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I think it's I think everybody wants people to like them and just like finding different avenues to that is is totally fine. Um, and I don't know. Uh there's this guy named Dan Savage. He writes a sex advice column um, that I just read sometimes because yeah. I'm an adult. Savage love, <laughs> Savage like, love. I like that guy. Yeah, he's all right. He's, I mean, he's he he's problematic in some ways, but sure, who kind of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Glad we got that out. Of the way. <laughs> he's now gonna listen to this show. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but he has this this spiel that he gives to young people who like come to him from for advice and is like I'm a teenager and I want sex now and it's <coughs> like I mean you can go for it but what you should really be spending your time on is becoming an interesting person that someone would want to date mm. um, and I think as long as you're out there doing something that you think is interesting and that other people are going to find to be interesting whether that's like writing or reading or telling stories or just like what football team you follow like that's that's good and and you should not feel bad about it and it's it's awesome do yeah. it like Watch football i think to not just doing the thing but like finding the people that also appreciate the thing you know like whether it's the storytelling or the music or the the football team like finding a community of people that you can share that with is important yeah so um you want to tell one more story? Sure. Um, why don't you pick a story that you like? Let me think about it. Or I can just think about what's happened to me lately. Um, 
wow, I got to think about what the, the story, I think the high school story is the story that people need to hear because this is going to take us, this is going to take us way back uh, to the past in a time where uh, James and I, we went to uh, the same church and uh, we played a lot of cards together occasionally and um, we we did a lot of stuff we listened to, to Monty Python on CD yeah. while we played the card games it was a good time so the high school story okay so yeah um, the church Dave is talking about is the Salvation Army uh, the Salvation Army every year uh, sends people to march in the Rose Bowl Parade in California um, what part of California? I'm not really sure. I've never really figured out the geography of that state. It's so enormous, and it's got a bunch of sands in it, and I don't know which sand is where, and I can never keep that straight. So we went to one of the sands for this, and uh, I was a teenager. Um, my friends were there. We marched in the parade, and then the next day we went to Disneyland and wandered around the park, um, refusing... Uh, absolutely to spend our money on food so we like went to the the little shops and got the free butter packets and ate butter um, (laughs) to keep from just like totally starving that day butter and mustard the food of champions (laughs) (laughs) anyway so uh, my my three friends and I were standing in line for the Pirates of the Caribbean ride and um we were talking amongst ourselves and we had on our like Rose Bowl uh, memorial gear like our backpacks had Rose Bowl embroidered on them and this uh, young woman in front of us turns around and notices that we have this stuff and she's like oh were you guys in the Rose Bowl parade I was too and we're like this is great let's talk to this uh, this woman she's like really (laughs) pretty and and we're all uh, like teenage boys who don't talk to girls very often this is nice. This is, let's just enjoy this. And so we talked to her for a little bit, and she was like, what are your guys' majors? And we just all stopped dead silent because none of us have majors. We're all teenage high school kids. And we just look at each other, and I go, we're in high school. And my voice cracks, like, just very high, very, very, like, I did it now, but I can't do it as high as I used to be able to, because I'm not a teenager anymore. Um, and it was, it was bad. It was a terrible moment for all of us, including the girl, I'm sure. Um, I don't remember what happened after that, but in my, my, like, presumably fake made-up memory, she just, like, stone cold, like, a wave of, of, silence passed over her face and she turned around and we all stood in in shame until we got on the pirates of the caribbean ride um which was great by the way it's a great ride great ride i like that story because as as long as you've been telling it which is like years uh that the end uh her stone cold face has remained the same, which makes me believe that that's true. That's how it happened. She just looked at you, disgusted, and turned back around and didn't talk to you for the next hour and a half that you stood in line. Yeah. Well, that is, I mean, that that's the interesting thing about telling stories is you kind of have to, even if they're from real life, you sometimes have to manufacture things because they're you don't remember them or because they don't fit into the story well. Right. 
Um, and so storytelling, it's a fine line. Like uh, people, it's if it's not nonfiction, if it's not like true, it's it's usually you know that story would be less funny if you didn't think it actually happened to me. Yeah. Um, and so, but the fact that I'm making up a little bit of it um, is is a little bit complicated ethically. Uh, there's uh, you know there's various nonfiction writers. Uh, David Sedaris in particular is known to like have sort of blurred this line a lot, um, where some of his stuff appears to be just fictionalized versions of reality or just fictions passed off as reality. Um, he's come under criticism for it because uh, if you believe that stuff is true, it, it's a lot funnier. <laughs> it sells a lot more books. He's, the well, other big one is Mike Daisy, who told a story about going to China and, and visiting factories, and it all turned out to be fabricated. And uh, he told it to This American Life. Yeah. And they recorded it, and then they had an entire episode that was his retraction. And it was just such great radio. Even just the retraction is like, this is awesome. I feel so uncomfortable right now. That's so good. <laughs> they had a whole episode that was a re- what, like. What did he? Yeah. What did he do? He he. Well, he like apologized, but not really. <laughs> and then they like investigated it and were like talking about how they figured out it wasn't real, um, and how they like. And there's like a deep apology from the staff that's like, we're sorry, we didn't fact check this. We we just assumed it was true because we called a couple people and it seemed to check out and he was telling it as as if it was real. So um, great radio, fascinating. Yeah, I like um, listening to Mike Birbiglia a lot. There's, I feel like he's kind of doing this thing in in comedy that's not being done by very many people, which is kind of getting back to the like just like good storytelling. So he just kind of talks about. Um, for example, his special "My Girlfriend's Boyfriend" is basically just a condensed version of his book under the same title, which is like a autobiography kind of. Yeah. Um, so he does this really long, intricate storytelling. That's uh, it's ba- he's just telling stuff from his life, but the whole time you're like laughing or. So sometimes you're laughing because it's funny, and sometimes you're laughing because it's really, really sad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I wonder why, like, is that more difficult to do, do you think? Like, to do comedy in a way that's, like, a cohesive element like that, as opposed to just, like, here's a joke, here's a joke, here's a joke? I mean, I would say that I have no idea, because <laughs> I haven't done both styles. But um, one, I mean, they're different, and they both take a lot of time and energy to write. The thing about Mike Birbiglia's style is, is, and it's part of this thing that I'm talking about where you kind of have to make some of the stuff up because right. it's in your memory and, and memories are fickle and they, they don't always include things. Um, one of the things that you often find yourself inventing when you're telling a story about your own life is your reaction. Like you, you don't always just remember exactly what your instantaneous reaction to an event was Mm -hmm. and typically you're just like well how would i probably uh react to that um and then you discard that and you're like what's the funniest thing (laughs) i would would, uh, say in response to that and you usually end up picking that one yeah um 
hopefully it's similar to what you would actually do in reality, but it, it maybe it doesn't matter. Yeah. No one's going to know. And I, you, you just tell it. I think it's interesting that people are so, well, some people are so like uppity about that. I, I understand when it's like, here's a, a news story that I'm going to recant to you. And uh, then later on, it turns out that major details of that news story were incorrect or, you know, exaggerated or, completely fabricated but when it's for the lulls uh <laughs> for the lulls i don't i don't necessarily see an issue with that like yeah. i would say mike Birbiglia's comedy it's comedy like he's yeah he he's selling it as primarily as funny stuff and you you don't necessarily need to take it as a straight fact um i would say with david sedaris there's a little bit more like unethical quality to it <laughs> Um, and with Mike Daisy, I don't even know what's up with that guy because his whole story, it was a one-man one show before it was like a piece of journalism that he told on the air. And as a one-man show, you can kind of see like the ethical boundaries of making up something in order to prove a point and then not explaining whether it was fiction or fact. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's like artistic license there. But once you go on a, a place and tell it to... You know, this American life, it's not like the height of journalism. They're about telling stories more than like reporting the facts and just the facts. Right. But still, you've crossed a line there. You have several places online where you can listen to more of those stories? Yeah. So uh, the best place to listen is at my blog, The Library of Babel, um, which I wasn't able to secure like a really great url for that so it's actually at library dash dash of dash dash babble dot blogspot.com nice <laughs> um but you know google it with my name and you should be able to find it okay yeah you also uh blog yeah so i write a blog there um it's about uh, everyday life and just whatever i think is interesting which is just a deeply boring way of describing it but i promise <laughs> There are occasionally some really interesting things there. I it's just about, uh, well, no, it's nothing. Stuff. Don't worry about it. Here's, so the Library of Babel is a story written by Jorge Luis Borges, and it's about a library where all possible combinations of letters live as books. So it's like the library that contains every possible thing. Um, and the problem with that is it's full of gibberish and it's really boring <laughs> unless you've happened to find one of the like miracle books that happens to contain a sentence that makes sense. Yeah. So the point of naming my blog with that was that I don't really have a theme. It's just like all the stuff. Just random letters and sometimes it comes out as a, yeah. a post. I do actually post just sometimes, you know, just to keep it light and make the blog theme make sense. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I review movies. Um, I have a series called, uh, in defense of boring movies where I talk about movies that are boring on purpose and, uh, why they can still be good. Yeah. That's a really great series. I like, uh, the, that cut of the dark crystal. Yeah. Talked about, um, yeah. Oh man, that gives me an idea. I should talk about some of those things on the show, but that, <laughs> that, it, I don't even know what it is. It's like a, like a recut of the dark crystal oh yeah so it was like the original director's vision of it was supposed to be a lot darker and uh, like kind of harder to understand yeah um because there were whole sections of it where um the the skexis which are these evil bird puppet things 
uh, speak in a bird puppet language. Yeah, with no subtitles. With no subtitles. <laughs> and it's like, come on, man, we we gotta we gotta show this to children. And it's like, you can't do that. That that scene uh, is even extended in this this cut. There's like found footage uh, that was cut from the original. Yeah. So it's like so a, it's even longer. It's like 15 minutes of bird squawks <laughs> and fighting with a sword, and it's great. When my roommate and I watched it together, he was like, is this supposed to be like this? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, good, because I thought I was going insane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So I think it's called The Darker Crystal, right? No, it's just The Dark Crystal Director's Cut. Yeah, and it's not real. It's not like officially sanctioned or anything. It's just something that a right, guy right. found and put on the internet. If you go to my blog, boring movies. <laughs> <laughs> if you go to James' blog, there's a link to it. I think it lives online too. The the actual movie. Yeah, so. I I embedded a, a version you can watch on on my blog. Yeah, post. which is great. Yeah. So Library of Babel. So there's there's that. place to hang out. Um, I write about like race a lot. Um, it's one of the things that I think like about. Like running. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't even know where to take that one. No, about nope. race. <laughs> Give me a break, Dave. That was my, my dad coming through a little bit. I apologize. Dad joke. We're getting close to our 30s. <laughs> uh, don't talk about it. Oh, um, man. Yeah, so I wrote a post about um, representation in, like, in, in art about the Bible. Like, someone made a... a a, a photo series where they represented all the different characters in the Bible as people of color. And we had this whole discussion on Facebook about whether that was quote unquote blackwashing. Um, which Wait, I, <laughs> that's a thing? Yeah, not really. I gotta go read that thread. <laughs> um, it was, it's a great post. You should read it. Um, so I write about stuff like that uh, too. Um, I don't, I, I write about once or twice a month these days um, and I haven't written since the new year because I'm really busy, but uh, I promise to keep writing, and it will continue to be interesting. Perfect so. time to catch up, then, on, on past entries, I think. That's right. So I write that one, and then, of course, there's the blog that you and I started together called In Progress, which you named. I, I did accidentally name that, um, and I don't write for that anymore, unfortunately. That's all right. I... I, I feel a little bad bringing it up with you guys every <laughs> time, like you and the other Dave who wrote for it. I don't... I, I, it's fine. You just you wrote for it for a little bit, and it wasn't your thing, so you stopped. And yeah, definitely don't feel bad about that. Okay, I I, I mean I do a little bit, but <laughs> okay, I gave you a name, and we'll, maybe we can call it even then. Yeah. <laughs> and so that one's about uh, progressive Christian theology. And uh, lately, I've been writing about how to read the Bible as a as a progressive Christian, because um, I think it's really easy to fall into like not taking the Bible seriously or not caring about it as much. Um, uh, but as a Christian, like I think it's really beautiful and valuable and we should read it and think about it, even if we don't think of it as infallible, which is of course like a, a very late uh, modernist uh, word to apply to the Bible. And I, I think it's, it's foolish to, to think of the Bible in those terms. And where can people go that you said the blog is called oh, yeah. In Progress? It's In Progress. It's at theologyinprogress.blogspot.com. Boom. Yeah. And uh, I read there once or twice a month. And, um, lately, I wrote a, po a post called Let's Ban Christmas Again. 
again again about why uh christmas was banned in the united states for a while and why should we we should think about doing it again that's not something i was aware of but uh i'm for it so i'm gonna (laughs) have to go read that blog post so that i can back up my initial thought of banning christmas (laughs) because that's how it works right yeah Doug. awesome thanks for coming on the show james Uh, my pleasure again to james for coming on the show have you any time you want uh thank you guys for listening this far if you've made it if you want to join in the conversation you can hit me up on twitter at david mantel or you have uh, the other option of sending me an email if you have a rant or comment longer than 140 characters that you just need to get in my hands you can email me at brokenlightrecords at gmail.com Don't forget about our Kickstarter going on right now. I promise as soon as it's funded, I will shut up about it. But uh, if this show means anything to you, if you've been listening for a while and you say, yeah, that's actually worth uh, some monetary value to me, I encourage you to go to Kickstarter, look up the Broken Light Show. I'm not asking for a butt ton of money. I'm not trying to make a career out of this show. Just trying to get a website put together and uh, get a logo done and some other stuff. So if you want to hop on over, we're two-thirds funded, so you may lose out on the ability to support this show financially forever. No, I mean, you can still send me your money. I will gladly take it. Uh, But the Kickstarter will end soon, so hop on over there, check it out. There's a little video that explains everything in detail, uh, as well as some pretty cool perks, if I do say so myself, and I do. Thanks for listening. We got new episodes here every week. You can uh, push that subscribe button on iTunes if you like it, and it'll be magically delivered. And soon, soon and very soon, you'll be able to subscribe on our website. If you don't like iTunes, you'll be able to share links to uh, direct episodes and all that kind of good stuff. But you'll just have to wait a little bit longer until the Kickstarter is finished. Um, If you want that to hurry up, why don't you just head over there and help it out? Yeah, thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week. 